Blog Talk Radio. December 13th, 2013 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is the podcast where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. That's the philosophy behind the uniquely American sense of life, the sense of life of those of us who believe we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of our own individual happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff, and I just said that introduction completely from memory. Usually I'm reading it. Why? Because today I am flying by the seat of my pants. This is the third hour of hosting that I have done today. I was guest hosting for Tammy Bruce earlier today. I was very happy to be invited to do that. And now this is the third hour of radio. So I'm proving that if, if I do this, if, I've got no commercials, right? But I did have, I, t- I took off an hour in between, so I guess that's kind of cheating. But I think I'm proving that I could actually do a three-hour show. How fast is that? That's three full hours. Usually they do an hour and a half tops with, with all the commercials. Yeah, an hour and a half total with all the commercials, yeah. right? So if I had commercial breaks, that'd be even better. But yeah, I stood up, I stretched my legs, I kind of re-geared. And then I went and looked at Drudge Report. You guys, I had intended to maybe give you a little bit of a Cliff Notes version of what I had done on Tammy Bruce's show, which I thought was a really good selection of of stories and some fun analysis and all kinds of stuff. I was going to give you a little bit of that and some other things before I speak to Brooke Goldstein in the second half hour of this shorter show. And then Drudge has a headline right now that there has been a terror plot, a suicide bombing plot foiled in Kansas at the Wichita airport. So we have to talk about that. Moreover, it seems to be right exactly on point because what I'm going to speak about with Brooke Goldstein in the half hour, the second half hour, is the Lawfare Project. And she is specifically concerned with Islamic groups that use lawsuits and other things as a weapon in the so-called stealth jihad movement to basically convert our culture to one that's sympathetic to Islam. Like car bombs, yeah. like, you know I mean, like the plane bombs, law bomb. I mean, I mean, in essence, it's, right. it's used right. as a, it's a weaponized law. Yeah. So, so yeah. I would assume that if lawfare wasn't allowed, if we effectively battled against lawfare, then people like this guy who converted to Islam and tried to bomb the Wichita airport would be less prevalent than they already are. Why? Because we get the truth about Islam out there, not make it some attractive thing for these people to convert to. So what do you think, Bosh? Uh, I mean, a guy converts to Islam. Yeah. I guess, I'm, I'm assuming that some sort of agent, some sort of uh, either federal or, or state law enforcement agents were in touch with him and gave him these phony decoy explosives that he threw he put in his truck and so he, did. And so then he, he drove this truck into the airport with the phony explosives hmm. intending to detonate and them and kill himself and, and a whole bunch of people there yeah. at the same yeah no this is this we're going he's uh what is he he's a uh, black guy white guy arab i mean what is he just white guy and, and, and okay. this, this is the thing right so yeah. so here we go to the story right 
And the story that's linked at Top of Drudge here is an NBC news story. And they say he's a 58-year-old airport worker. They tell you 58 his... 58 years old? 58 that, years old. old for, for a terrorist. I guess. For, well, and for a new convert exactly. to a new religion. Exactly. Right? Uh, his name's Terry Lee Lowen, avionics technician living in Wichita. Hmm. And then they say Lowen, who is white. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, they're going to tell me he's a tea party right, or something. No. Right. He became radicalized, they say, after reading extremist Islamic material on the Internet. Yeah, the uh, material radicalized him. He was, he, you know, if it didn't attack him with his radicalization, then he would have been fine, right? No, but that's the thinking here also. He went there. He read this crap and wanted to bring it to life and death, literally. Criminal complaint filed in the U.S. District Court in Wichita charges him with one count of attempting to use weapon of mass destruction, one count of attempting to damage did property. Did they say Islam anywhere here? By means of an explosion. That he, he converts to Islam. I mean, seriously, did they put? They, they said it not until the fourth paragraph. Islamic extremist Islamic material. Yeah. You mean like the Quran? Pretty I mean, right? <laughs> you know, we kill the infidels where you find them. That's a quote extremist. That's right. That's right. That's such BS. Uh, anyway, I, you know, I've been writing something. Uh, I've been writing a long piece for, for, for PJ about basically about the 10, what is it, uh, 10 truths that comic book companies uh, need to evade in order to promote Muslim superheroes. And this has been on my mind for, for days now. And I'm about to send it in. I don't know how long it'll take to publish it. But uh, this is right in sync with that. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the idea that we could be publishing Muslim superheroes while we're getting attacked and killed. I mean, this guy could have actually, if he didn't work with a guy, if they, if they didn't catch me, he could have killed people. And every single day, if you check out this one website, religionofpeace.com, every single day there's a non-Muslim being killed in the name of Islam by a Muslim across the world. And they have every single account across, the, I mean, every country that they can find, every mm -hmm. story. And they're, again, they're, they're creating Muslim, quote-unquote, superheroes in this climate, post-9-11, during a war. It's disgusting. And that's what I'm writing about. It's just another reminder here. And those editors behind this crap, the, uh, the, the non-Muslim editors, they probably look at this. And there's a tinge, a tinge of something. They're like, well, they should be doing something against this. But they'll rather promote Muslim superheroes, which are no, which they're not, they're no, there's no such thing. Yeah, State Defiance in the chat room here over at Block Talk Radio says what he should <laughs> be reading is Pigman. That's right. Yay. And Pigman, you know, he's, he's ex-Muslim, so he knows the enemy intimately. He knows language, everything. So let me get this. Okay, he was charged with planning this attack. He was charged on Friday with planning this attack. And I'm, I'm glad we don't know when, when he, yeah, we don't know when he actually drove there, but <sighs> I, you know, I think, I think Drudge, you know, he looked at my program and that's he said, right. she's going to read, she's going <laughs> to interview Brooke Goldstein. That's right. I need to accommodate her. That's what it was. And this is the thing. We need to be able to tell the truth yep. about Islam yep. in the culture without feeling intimidated or bullied. We have to have that freedom, and then that's the way we can start fighting back and that's start the way diminishing the threat. Because, because if the whole idea and, and is that, I mean, the, you know, people don't just get up and start trying to bomb course. people. Exactly. They're doing it because they're motivated by ideas. Yep. And the ideas that are motivating so many of the people who want to do us harm these days and usually what happens are, is, come from Islam. Usually, you know, their lives go sour now. In the Muslim world, their lives are already sour. They don't go sour. They are sour, and that's why they do it. But usually for Westerners, when they go into this crap, their lives go sour, and they fall back to some ideology that gives them some kind of pretense of power. You know, because if you kill people, that's power, right? So these impotent rats, you know, read, that, read the Quran. And again, the Quran has, quote-unquote, extremist material. That's what it is. Kill the infidel where you find them. 
is in the Quran. That's in their quote-unquote holy book. There's no mystery there. That, that's, that's a fact. It's in there. It's a whole chapter on, you know, and, and, and they have a sport, you know, throughout the whole book, you know, kill this, cut their fingers off, cut their heads off. And this guy read that and acted on it because that's what Muslims are supposed to do according right. to Islam, according to the Quran. There's no mystery. There's no extremism here. It's, it's, it's uh, I guess, normative Islam in that sense. Kill the infidels where you find them. Right. Fight your enemies. Kill the Jews. Kill yeah. the Christians. Kill, kill, kill the atheists. Certainly don't be friends with any of Absolutely those people. Absolutely not. Because you can't. They are, they are horrible. And only, be, you know, only befriend them to kill them. So your favorite topic to talk about, Islam, is here. And now I'm going it's to bring in, I'm going to bring in my favorite topic, which is the issue of NSA and privacy right. and stuff, because they... Tell us in this story okay. here. So this is the one guy that they caught, you know? Well, they, I mean, they caught him. You know, they looked at all of us, but they caught him. Well, By mistake, they probably tripped over. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Well, okay, I think the type of investigation that they did here is a little bit different, right? It says investigators tell NBC News that Lowen, if that's how you pronounce his name, has been Something under... Low life. Low life, yeah, yeah, okay, I like it. Has been under scrutiny since August when he began having an online exchange with someone he thought was a like-minded individual but turned out to be an FBI employee. And then he says, let me preface the bottom line by saying that I have become radicalized in the strongest sense of the word, and I don't feel Allah wants me any other way, he said in one message. What a dweeb. Uh, oh, my God. Um, well, this, this is the kind of people that fall for this crap. I, I, I think loser. Oh, um, complete loser. This is horrible, and he could have really hurt people. Anyway, so the thing that I like about this is that it looks like it was an FBI employee, an actual person, having an exchange with somebody they thought was bad yeah. in order to feel them out. Now, how he, how they learn right. about this guy is they what you'd right. like to know. You know, it, it's interesting because there's been all these revelations of, that Snowden has given us. And, and almost every res, revelation that Snowden has told us so far, I say the government should not be doing that. So, for yep. instance, the government should not be doing the bulk Verizon uh, phone record collection. Right. They have not. they have no business collecting no for every single Verizon subscriber who we've called when and all you know I I, I talked about I mean, this a lot. And besides being um, immoral, it doesn't work. I mean, how the hell can you get the the bad guys? Right. You go after all everyone. I mean, the moral practical dichotomy we reject right. at, at all turns, but I think it is immoral for them to do that. Uh, maybe they found this guy through something like that, and that we would have to broach in a second. Yeah. But. Um, other things that I've talked about, that PRISM program, mm -hmm. which again would collect various types of bulk metadata about online activities yeah. of people. Everyone. I'm against that. Um, the stuff that they talk about, about getting five, I think it was, was it five billion or five million records of cell phone location data per day that like they're collecting? Millions, I would imagine. I, either way. I mean, it might be. I, I mean, that, that's how I, the I order, control it is. The order of magnitude, I forget. It's five million or billion. I'm against that because this is, again, bulk collection without probable cause or particularized suspicion. I'm against that. But then there was this revelation recently, and it, this is the one that got the gaming community all mm, mad, right? right? That's that the one. These FBI guys go into the online game rooms and just pretend to be another gamer, and then they learn stuff. Like what? Uh, well, I mean, suppose that that's how they got this guy. Supposedly. But, but the fact no. is they can't be looking at everything in order to no, find no, this no. scum. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, is a government agent, I think, is totally within his rights to go into a place where other people... Like what place? Any, any place that's publicly... Yeah, a publicly available forum, right? Take um, a look around. 
take a look around. And yeah, you first of all, you shouldn't be doing anything criminal. But second of all, you know, you have to be careful with whom you befriend. You don't just share your personal life with these people that you barely met online. So there's that issue. And, uh, you know, basically the whole idea is that... I'm glad he did, though. If if you meet with somebody and you have some sort of a criminal plan afoot, you plan to bomb an airport, for example, and you say, okay, me and you, we're in this deal. You're going to get the weapons and I'm going to pay you a certain amount for the explosives or whatever. We have this deal. But remember, part of our deal is that you're going to keep it secret. Mm. That's part of our contract. It's a criminal contract. It's an illegal contract. It should not be enforceable, right? So, you know, this idea that you have a right to make agreements, criminal agreements with people, and they're supposed to keep it private, and the government's not supposed to, that's ridiculous. And and, this was the whole idea behind the third-party doctrine, but I think they had it wrong. They say, every time you share information with a third party, you no longer have a reasonable expectation of privacy. And I say, no, if you share information with a third party pursuant to an illegal contract, then good luck having that contract enforced, including any privacy provisions. So this is my whole deal. So this idea, this FBI employee, suppose he met this Lowen loser in an online forum and then started up the conversation. And then of course they quote, you know, a message from Lowen here. So if that happens, yes, of so course. so much the worse for the loser, right? I mean, there's I, I, I am perfectly there's, there's no I am perfectly in favor of this type of government yes, investigation. Of what I totally disapprove of, and you know, I I, I just love I'm I'm, I'm going to hear Gutfeld tonight saying, <laughs> "Look, this shows yes, you that it works." Of course, this type of investigation works, yes. and I think it's perfectly moral for these people to go in where they have a perfect right to be, whether they're either invited in or where the public can go, And also, you know, give them yeah. some fake stuff and let them go to, to the point of trying to do it to say, okay, this guy would have killed if he had had the white weaponry. Right. So that's a great case against him. So he'll be in Gordon jail for a long time, which is good, where he, where he belongs. Definitely. And uh, he belong, now he'll be going with the Muslim gangs there and who knows what, because they, they, they proselytize within, within prison. And the guys who have a pretty short prison sentences, they try to, quote, unquote, radicalize so they can go out there and kill more people. Exactly, yeah. exactly. If people do want to call in during this first half hour before I've got Brooke on the line, you can call. It's 760-888-5817. Let me bring up but the then if context. you do want to talk to me, then go ahead and hit the little, I think there's a one button that... Blog talk tells you to talk. Some people call and just listen. I'm sorry. This is mm-hmm. I've said this a thousand times, probably more. But um, this idea that if you criticize Islam, you're being a racist. This is just another example. It is ideology, ideology, ideology. This is a, a white convert. In my story, I mean, my, you know, me. I'm, I'm I'm white with red hair. I have a Muslim background. It's about ideology. It's it's ideas. It's not about race. Not about anything like that. And it has to be put again and again and again clearly because people are still calling these. You know, even even questioning Islam is is racist. So well, this is it's just another example. And of this that. is this is why we need to be free to criticize the, the ideology. You know, telling the truth and uh, trashing Islam is one and the same thing because it is evil. That's why. That's why it, it's one and the same thing. And uh, people don't want to hear that. But this is just another reminder. And again, I'm glad George has it in the top story because it is right now. You know, a guy was out there to kill Americans, a a fellow American who was, quote unquote, radicalized. 
you know, the budget deal had been the top story for him for the last couple of days, but I'm apparently I'm hearing that the Senate is yeah. nullifying this budget deal. Good. I mean, for the if they're going to do it, excellent. Another strong move. You know, I mean, look, we're getting these little blips here and there. We're showing, you know, we're seeing a little spine from Ted Cruz, from Mike Lee, even though they they did two things this week that really stunk. But besides that, they're politicians, but they're but they're still better. But if they can knock that thing out, that's a good start. Another another one, and that really diminishes Boehner and Paul Ryan, Paul Ryan, no, and, um, and McConnell and, all, and all, all the other rats. Even though McConnell pretends that he's against this thing because he's he's running, so he says, "Guys, can I can I vote against it and still get away?" With it? Yes, okay, good. But you know, it's just uh, again, this is just another reminder we're at war, and that's what my piece is about. My piece is is there to remind the comic book world that they have sold us out. You know, they, there's not one anti-jihad superhero fighting jihad in mainstream comic books. It's pretty shocking. A dozen years later, there's Pigman, and there was the uh, there was the picture by Frank Miller, and that's it. And um, this is my basically my thorough answer. I mean, you you know, Amy read it. It's, it's a long piece, and it was four thousand words, twenty six pages. Now it's actually five pages and two thousand words. Um, it sounds like me condensing my law review article down for PJ. Those of you who don't know, I urge you. Actually, 8,000 words. Go on, sir. No, I mean, I had I had 10,000 plus yeah. words for my law review article. But what I urge you to do, if you haven't done it already, please go to pjmedia.com. And I finally got up there a short version of my article, my longer article on the third-party doctrine. It is called, I, I like my little title, it's called Don't Tread on My Metadata. I love it. Don't tread on my metadata. Perfect. And I lay out the entire argument for, you know, what we should do about the third-party doctrine, how the third-party doctrine came about, and how we can preserve the ability of the government to use secret agents like this FBI employee who rooted out this loan. We need to keep that stuff, right? Yes. We need to keep that stuff. What we need to get rid of is this bulk collection of metadata. Right. We need to it's have our government be truly a limited one, one of limited powers. We don't want to be in the position where we just trust the so-called integrity of the NSA or the IRS or any of, of these people. We need to have an impartial arbiter, a judge, and do it, not in a secret forum, say, you know, yes, you do have a warrant to go ahead and investigate this person. No, you don't. We need probable cause, something similar to probable cause. That's you know, very kind of vague terms. You know, what, what amounts to probable cause? Probable is usually more likely than not. Right. So more likely than not, you are going to show a link between the evidence that you're looking for and a crime that's been committed. And you need particularized suspicion, right? Because I could show if, if we know that somebody who was planning to bomb an airport had used a phone, right? right then I could show you probable cause right. that if I got the phone records of every single person <laughs> in the entire country, that that bomb, you know, person, the, the intended bomber, his phone record would be in there somewhere. Right. It's probable, right? Probable. But particularized. We need particularized Absolutely. suspicion. You can't just go on a fishing expedition. This is just a power run wild, and they're trying to rationalize it. Say, uh, well, these guys, I mean, come on. I mean, they can, I mean, every, there's... One thing about these quote-unquote radicals, they call them, right? the, the jihadists, there's always, I, I think someone wrote an article, there's always a mosque. There's always a mosque. They're always connected to some mosque somewhere, somehow, some way. 
That's why looking at mosques, despite the fact that we want to be a free country to open, we're at war. Okay, enough of this crap, especially if we find out that some terrorists came from a particular mosque. That mosque has to be surveilled. It has to be looked at. Has to be, and the guys in, in charge of that mosque and the funding behind that mosque, we got to start looking at these things. Well, but see, in order to say that you have to look at that mosque, you would have to face up to the nature of the religion yes. that's being preached yes. at the and mosque. Then and they you don't, don't want to do stop that. Stop building mosques and say, okay, enough of this crap. They There's need, more than enough here. They definitely need and, to be doing and, that. And who's funding these mosques in America? One of the great state sponsors of terrorism on earth, who has American blood on his hands. How is that possible that we leave this? You know, they're killing Americans. And they're funding the killing of Americans, and they're funding these mosques, which, quote-unquote, radicalize these people. Uh, that guy went to a mosque, 99.9%, let's just say, because it says here, they try to make it here like he was just reading, oh, he, he just read something, and just, oh, I'm going to bomb. That's it. It's just stupid. I mean, it, you know, it takes, you know, that's why it's so difficult for these guys like Osama Bin Laden and, and, and Zawahiri here to get these scum to, to let go of their lives, to basically sacrifice their lives. It's tough even for jihadists to do that. Because they're like, what the hell? I, I want to. I don't want to blow myself up. I mean, even if I believe it. So it's very. It's a very. It's a small minority in that sense. At least the bombers themselves. And then you got the big majority. You know, the big. The big majority who actually support it. Bruno in the chat room here over at Blog Talk Radio asks, why do the moderate Muslims not bash the extremists? This fact is pretty ominous. I, I it is, and uh, I think part of it has to do with the fact that they're um, intimidated because they know that to some extent, however limited their knowledge of Islam is, that these guys are the real deal. They are the Muhammad-type Muslims. They are the true Muslims, and they're the BS ones. And they have no argument. I mean, literally, there's no Islamic argument against Osama bin Laden. Not one. They can lie to themselves that there is, but there isn't. You know, again, when, when, when your prophet, the perfect man of all, right, of all time, was a murderer, that's what you do. You, you can't refrain from doing that if you want to be the hero. That's, that's what it is. So the ones who don't do it feel like a little intimidated to actually try to challenge the ones who actually do because they have no, they have no basis to argue against them with. So they shut their trap and allow people to die. Most definitely. Most definitely. Now, Crastio over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio put a link up to my PJ oh, nice. media nice. piece. So thank you. Please, everyone, go over there, read it, leave comments. That's always a wonderful always, thing. Yeah. I understand it's a longer piece. It's more of what they call a think piece. That's what Vodka Pundit called it. But he really liked it as well. And, and, he, and, and he, it, yeah. he liked the idea of my broader theory where I say, look, the right to privacy itself, I think, is an incorrect way to correct, I mean, to protect states of privacy. We need to protect privacy through property and contract. And I think the third party doctrine is just one example yeah. of how wrongheaded our privacy doctrine is. I'm going to talk about some of that with Brooke Goldstein as well, because she is one of the few people yep. out there speaking in the media today who agrees with us that what the NSA is doing uh, is wrong, and moreover, understands that the problem goes to the third-party doctrine. Right. She had a piece that she co-wrote at American Thinker and published in July. I didn't even know about it until yep. she and I spoke last week. And she criticizes the third-party doctrine, says it needs to be amended in some way. And she's been one of the best red-eye guests, I mean, hands down. Uh, she, she challenges uh, to the point where they, 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 they laugh at her every time she brings up Sharia law, which is silly. It's a serious problem. But um, this, if new listeners or people who don't know, I do come from a Muslim background. I have a piece called My Name is Bosch, and I'm a recovered Muslim. And uh, if you want to know my full context, everything, my whole argument against Islam and the war and jihad and why I do what I do, check it out. Yeah, exactly. So we have a few minutes before 
Brooke comes on. And in terms of the important, actually, you know, you you should you should stay for Brooke's interview, Bosch. I want to listen to it. Oh, you're going to listen to it? Okay, okay. Because I think so, it's something that you're really going to oh, like because of her lawfare. Her her work on lawfare. If I have a question, I might even call in. Definitely, because it, it's definitely right up your alley. And yeah, I'll, I'll watch for you calling in if you State have to. State Defiance says it. He goes, Brooke is definitely the smartest person on Red Eye. I, I agree. I mean, I do. <laughs> she's excellent. Every time she's on, I say, okay, good. We have a, a rational, intelligent person here. And it's not just kissing up. She's, it's a fact. And that's why she gets mocked sometimes. She brings up Sharia law and certain things about, uh, you know, also the lawfare. Let me say a couple things about what we talked about on Cami Bruce earlier today. I that thought was one, fun. one of one of the fun things. It's just was, I don't know. It's always honor filling in. It's always great. It's exciting as always. And it, it, today was like a train. I'm just flying through for right. two hours. And it, it's going to be rebroadcast on TalkStream Live. You can access the live stream from Tammy Bruce's website at tammybruce.com. So she actually does a little rebroadcast later in the day. App? It's a talk, uh, yeah, talk stream live time? app will work as well. And that is between 4 and 6 p.m. Pacific, okay. 7 to 9 Eastern time. You'll be able to hear the entire show. Yeah, check it out. But some stuff that I thought were highlights were uh, I came up with a new cartoon for Bosch <laughs> to basically give you a picture of what it looks like when you go to healthcare.gov and try to enroll in an insurance plan. So I like that. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what it was, so I, I want you to go listen. Another thing that we talked about were, uh, you know, Greg Gutfeld being good sometimes, and in this instance, he was excellent on talking about the amount wasted by our government in this Obamacare rollout, spending tons and tons and tons of money per enrollee. Nationwide, one uh, news source calculated that it was over $14,000 per enrollee in Obamacare. In the state of Oregon, apparently, as they discussed on the five yesterday, they spent over three hundred million dollars getting forty four people enrolled. So that's a particularly egregious example. And he talked about the ineptitude. And you know, I, I think it's different than that, but I think it was a good point that he made about the the wealth and destruction. Often, and he often does make them, and then he goes and supports right. the NSA. But then we'll, so back and forth. Yeah. So we we talked about his latest think piece, which is this issue of lockstep. And he says, you know, being, trying to be lockstep with all the anti-communists, in effect, made him overlook the worth of Nelson Mandela. And I, I disagree about the worth of Mandela, and you can listen, you know, about that. But I, I think it's a different issue. And, and this idea, he, he comes out in favor of objectivity, in favor of truth, in favor of looking at the evidence, which I think is right. Yep. But somehow, it's like if an ideology is held by a group... And no, there's a whole bunch of people that agree. It's it's somehow you're supposed to have an extra amount of skepticism. Yeah. And I, I don't think you're supposed to be extra skeptical about an ideology. You shouldn't be afraid, for instance, of adhering to an ideology 100%. Suppose you think an ideology is right. Yeah. Ideologies, if they are correct, are going to correspond with the truth. Can I just say, it's, I mean, I think it's, it's, I think it's a fear of uh, losing one's individuality. You're losing one's you know, individual thought, and you don't have to worry about that. You really don't. I mean, if you if you if it's all in check, if you understand your mind, if you understand your philosophy that you actually follow, you don't got to be afraid of that. You really don't have to be afraid of that. Well, and a, and a proper ideology is not going to specify the particular You're values gonna, you that you have to you think have it through to anyway. Choose. You have to think things through and you, understand it, them on it, your own. It's just principles of right and wrong that you apply. Well, but, so, but, but what I'm saying, I think the resistance on his part and some others is that they don't want to be pigeonholed and they don't want to say, well, I want to think this through my own. Yeah, but some, you know, you, a philosophy. May make your your thinking a lot sharper, a lot clearer, a lot better. 
a lot more principled. Exactly. And that's why I, I, I don't know. I just back and forth on him. He's been good and not good and sad. He's one of the better ones, and then so that means that when he disappoints, yeah, he you really get way more disappointed yeah. than normal, exactly. and that's just that's just how it is. And I think, you know, probably when certain things like the NSA, his view on the NSA, I disagree with. Yeah. When stuff like that comes out, and people really, you know, were writing him and kind of attacking him and stuff, I think people do that when there's mm-hmm. a fellow traveler more because oh, they yeah. feel they're shocked. They're oh saying, yeah, you get pissed this, off. This, this is a good thinker. He's on our side. And then he's doing something that we find disappointing. I think that's the reason behind that. But this interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Elliot writes that uh, Guffell likes to hedge. He thinks it's better career-wise. Pendulette called him on it a couple couple months ago. Interesting, mm. because Pendulette is pretty firm in his uh, belief. Pendulette is funny. Yeah, he's very funny. And we met him. It was, it was pretty funny. Yeah, I was actually surprised because he said to me when I met him in the green mm-hmm. room at Red Eye that um, basically he was finding it hard the more impossible, he the actually. more the more he learned about Rand it was it was he was finding it impossible to disagree yeah. with her yeah he couldn't and he wanted which to. I didn't expect I expected him to be more like exactly. Gutfeld and say oh you know you can't agree with everything you know there's take a and little bit he's, he's also a mixed bag style. he's he's, he's yeah. you know he's he's a really vulgar but he does make some pretty damn good sense at times he she really does but he was uh, I, I I I got on him because he was pretty weak about Islam so I showed him a cartoon I did. He said, thank you. I said, well, actually, my point is that you avoid Islam. You, you trash yeah, Judaism. You, have that you trash dis- Christianity. You have that disagreement with, with Pendulet. Yeah. I know. I know. But, you know, overall, he's good, and, and, and he's an atheist, and he, you know, he's, uh, and he, and he's a Rand fan, even though he said something vulgar about her, which I won't repeat. You know, Elliot says that he thinks it's better career-wise for him to hedge. He I'm may, not, no, he may I'm think not that. sure. No, I'm he, not sure. He may think that, because, again, it doesn't want to be cornered. So these are my beliefs. I will stand by them, and that's that. And you know, you got to do that if you if you have any strong beliefs. I mean, you know, I, I I don't know. It's funny about about my career. You know, I started it with with the graph and all, and I started going after jihad. It is what it is. If I'm rejected by the by the medium I love, what are you what are you gonna do? This is the truth. This is what I believe. Right. No, I know. We are expecting Brooke to call up any time now. But the one last thing that I wanted to say, uh, just again, a little. Cliff Notes version of what we did on Tammy Bruce's show this morning. There's an ad from Americans for Prosperity, and they're saying Obamacare doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And the woman sounds very plaintive, and she says, you know, it's not supposed to be about politics. It's supposed to be about people and how it doesn't work and people are losing their insurance and stuff. And I think, although it's on the right side, it's in favor of getting rid of Obamacare, and it's trying to tell politicians, get rid of Obamacare. I think it makes this false dichotomy between people and politics. I don't think that you have politics on one hand and the people on the other. What, what is politics supposed to be? Politics is supposed to be the science that specifies what the proper relationship is between government and people so that the people's rights are respected. Can I read something here? Sure. Elliot writes, when Dana, Dana Perino uh, once said, it's Perino or Perino? I'm joking. <laughs> once said that atheists should be exiled from the country on the five? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that real? Really? Because that's outrageous if it is. Uh, Greg Guffel did, did, didn't respond to her because, uh, as far as I know, Greg Guffel has uh, atheist friends, you know. Sure. Pendulette, and uh, so I don't know. Yeah, it says Pen excoriated him. I don't. I don't know that. I didn't see. If I had seen that, I Interesting. probably. I probably would have. <laughs> oh man. Been been a, a tweeter. No, we've got Brooke on the line here. So speaking of people who are excellent in the company of Greg Gutfeld, Greg Gutfeld, let's talk to Brooke. Let's see. I'm trying to unmute her. Let's go. 
Brooke, are you there? Hi, Amy. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I'm hearing a little bit of feedback, so if you have something playing in the background, maybe turn it down a little. But other than that, I hear you great. Mm, I, do you want me to call you back from another line? I'm sorry. So all you have uh, on I'm is on a landline. Right and... Pardon me? So you have just a phone right now? Yeah. So the, any feedback I'm hearing is maybe just from the phone itself. You know what? Let me try another phone. Sorry about this. It's okay. How, how's that? Okay, right now I'm not hearing myself, so this is good. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, thanks so much, and thank you for giving us some time. I gather what you're trying to escape New York and get some warm temperatures. Actually, we're celebrating my father's birthday this weekend, so they're oh, here in Florida, okay. and it's definitely a nice escape. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, no, I heard it's, it's very, very cold. So thank you for telling, uh, giving us your time today. Brooke Goldstein, for those who do not know her, she's a frequent commentator on Fox, which is where I first heard about her, and I watched her a lot on Red Eye, where I think she just kicks butt yeah. mainly on two topics. One is Islam and Jihad, yeah, which I see well. is interrelated, and well. the other is the third-party doctrine. So we've got Bosch's pet topic and my pet topic, both in one person, Excellent, Brooke. We've really enjoyed watching you. And I wanted to invite you on because there's something that you do, which I think is very interesting. You don't get much chance to talk about it directly on Fox, and that is Lawfare. So could you explain to everybody what Lawfare is, what you do with the Lawfare Project? Yes, absolutely. First of all, Amy, I'm so happy to be on this show. I just want to thank you so much for uh, giving me the airtime and actually spending time with me separately and explaining to me how Blog Talk works. I think it's an incredible platform, and it's really an honor to be on here. Um, okay, so Lawfare, basically it's a term of art um, that you know first came to public attention when it was written about by uh, Major General Charles Dunlap in a Harvard Law Review essay back in 2001. And he vaguely described it as the use of the law as a weapon of war. And we've worked very hard since then to refine the definition. And basically what lawfare means is the manipulation of Western legal systems to undermine the very principles that they stand for, to undermine uh, the, the concept of human rights. And in particular, what we focus on at the Lawfare Project, uh, one of the strategic goals of Lawfare, which is the filing of frivolous and malicious lawsuits to silence and punish anyone who is brave enough to speak publicly and, and write critically or even parody militant Islam. And we see Lawfare lawsuits in abundance in Europe. We see them in Canada. And also, you know, despite the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, here in the United States, we see dozens of lawsuits filed against members of Congress, members of the media, citizen activists, anyone, like I said, who's brave enough to talk about issues of militant Islam and even to expose, you know, charitable, so-called charitable organizations that in reality are front organizations for terrorist organizations like the Muslim Brotherhood, for example, or or you know, are funding organizations for Hamas, which is a designated terrorist group. And if you want, I can go, I think, into some of the most egregious examples that are, in my opinion, quite frightening. Definitely, definitely I would like you to do that. Um, uh, one thing first that I just want to say by way of disclaimer, 
I've read the Quran and done quite a bit of studying. Uh, Bosch comes from a Muslim background, so I know quite a bit from him about the religion. So we actually don't even speak about militant Islam on this show. You, you of course, should speak about it whatever way you think is proper. But just by way of disclaimer, I just was going to tell you, I criticize Islam as such, not militant Islam, because I think that someone who truly adheres to the religion of Islam, based on all I know, is you know, basically going to be a jihadist. I mean, it's the people who take the religion fully 100% seriously. Those are the ones who are going to go do it. So I, I don't try to talk about, you know, there's a militant Islam and then there's Islam proper. So, you know, that that's really one thing. But I was going to ask you, what, what are the most egregious examples of lawfare, especially as you've seen here in the United States? No, I just want to also address what you just said, Amy. So, Yes, I mean, I'm not a theologist, and I don't claim to be an expert on Islam. And I I definitely have not read the Quran from from front to back, just like I haven't read the Bible uh, from from front to back. But in essence, you know, Islam, yeah, exactly, from back to front, um, left to right. No, 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 but I'm I'm saying that the the Quran is a lot shorter and easier read than the Bible, just for what it's worth. You could could probably (laughs) knock, knock it out in a weekend. You'd be bored. But you could do it. Good beach beach reading here in Florida, you think? That's right. That's right. Um, but but no, what what I what I say, and I've actually gotten into you know arguments with people about this, is that Islam is man-made, and and man can change it. And you know there there was like a hit piece on me that was published on um, Pamela Geller's blog. And I said that Islam can be reformed, and, and those who, who consider themselves Muslim, who want to change their religion, by all means, it's, it's absolutely possible. Is it likely? That's another argument, but it, but it is possible. And the counter-argument, um, I think it was someone like Logan's warning he goes by, was that, well, you know, Muslims believe that the Quran is the word of God, therefore how can it be changed? And I said to him, well, who's the Islamist now? You know, Islamists believe the Quran to be the word of God, and that's why it cannot be changed. I don't take that position. And and in order for Islam to be reformed, uh, modern-day Islam, for example, to have a more, uh, how do you say this, compatible definition with, you know, secular modern society, Muslims are going to have to take it upon themselves to to do that and understand that the Quran cannot be interpreted literally, and that's the only way that we're going to come about some sort of reformation. Now, again, is that likely? That's another argument, and, and, well, and we right. can debate that. I, anyhow, so, you know, so going yeah, in, no. however, to, to examples, um, one, one tenet that, that we know of, uh, I'm sure all of us on this call, Bosch and Amy, you and me, uh, of Sharia law, is that blasphemers of Islam, those who say anything that is offensive about the prophet or anything that is deemed offensive about the religion in general, should be punished. And what we are seeing today are groups like the OIC, the Organization of the Islamic Cooperation, for example, which is a 57-member voting bloc at the United Nations, Uh, have successfully, over the past 13 years, passed resolutions at the Human Rights Council making it or attempting to make it unlawful in international law to criticize Islam. So we're seeing principles of Sharia law now become or or attempt to become parts of customary international law. And the Human Rights Council has encouraged 
member states and have, has encouraged members, state members of the UN, basically, to enforce provisions of, of their local uh, legislation to, to punish those who criticize Islam. And you see that in Europe a lot. I mean, you have some countries in Europe that still have archaic blasphemy laws on the books that are now being resurrected by Islamists who want to punish people in the counterterrorism community who are exposing Islamist terrorism or, or exposing terror front groups. And here in the United States, not many people know this, but Secretary of State Hillary Clinton went, uh, when she was part of the Obama administration, and co-sponsored with the Muslim Brotherhood UN Human Rights Council Resolution 1618, which attempts to make it a crime in international law to use the media to criticize religion. So just uh, two Decembers ago, Hillary Clinton had a, a three-day closed-door meeting with the head of the OIC, after which she came out and announced the application of 1618 within the United States, which is completely contrary to the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. And what subsequently happened, the words Islam and Jihad have been redacted from counterterrorism training manuals, because if our, if our counterterrorism personnel can't even talk about the root causes of terrorism, how can they understand it and how can we defeat it? We have terrorist in incidents uh, motivated by a version of Islamism committed in the United States, such as Fort Hood, that are reclassified as workplace did you, um, violence. And of course, by the way, yes. Did you did you did yeah. you see the headline on Drudge today? Now, which is a 58-year-old man, some sort of a technician, avionics technician in Wichita, Kansas, converts to Islam and actually tries to pull off a suicide bombing in which he was foiled by FBI. So this is happening here. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, it happened. I mean, look at Boston. Did you know that the, the Islamic Center slash mosque that the Tsarnaev brothers attended and were allegedly radicalized in, the Islamic Society of Boston, when, Fox, when the local Fox News affiliate and the Boston Herald and you know, counterterrorism expert Steve Emerson were writing about Saudi funds, Wahhabi funds, going to build a mosque that was radicalizing the population, when they were writing about how uh, the mosque founder, who was then, you know, he was, he was sentenced to 23 years in prison for material support to Al-Qaeda, and when this, all this information was going to the local police, the police did nothing about it because they were afraid of being called Islamophobic. ISB, the Islamic Society of Boston, turned around and sued the 17 media defendants who were writing about this. And we all know what happened a couple of years later because the law enforcement and because of the threat of lawfare lawsuit prevented us from exposing ISB and shutting it down. Right. Right. So that's so a what, direct example of how, you know, a lawfare lawsuit has intimidated people into silence, and you can make a causal connection between, between that suit and, and, and the intimidation and the accusations of Islamophobia and then what happened with, at the Boston uh, Marathon. I mean, these are, these are two very strong examples, and I'm going to take them in, in the kind of back, backwards order, because one of them, in terms of scrubbing Islam and jihad from all of the counterterrorism documents, kind of leads into the other topic, with which you know, we have affinity about the 
Fourth Amendment and the third party doctrine stuff. I think if you, you know if you scrub Islam and jihad from these counterterrorism documents, of course what you have to do is look for a needle in a haystack, and you're not allowed to even search the haystack with anything that's truly relevant. So it's it's hopeless. But this the second case that you talk about in terms of suing people in the media. So at the Lawfare Project, do you then? represent the defendants, maybe at a reduced rate or for free? Is that the kind of thing that you would do? Right. So so we are a nonprofit legal think tank, and we operate, in a sense, as a matchmaker. So we raise money to support the litigation costs of anyone who finds themselves on the receiving end of a frivolous lawsuit merely for exercising their First Amendment right to free speech about issues of national security and public concern. And so if somebody is sued and they come to us, we would work to find them pro bono reduced rate counsel, and then we fundraise for their defense. Um, but we also provide a whole range of other services to uh, minimize the risk of, of being a lawfare victim. For example, we provide free libel review. So if you're a citizen activist or a journalist and you want to publish an article um, or you're going on the media and you want a pair of eyes, uh, a lawyer, to look over your article um, to, to basically edit it for any type of potential defamatory statement, we do that for you as well. We just came out with a book called Lawfare, The War Against Free Speech, A First Amendment Guide for Journalists Reporting in an Age of Islamist Lawfare. And it's a very um, brief, uh, concise, uh, simple analysis of the First Amendment. You don't have to go to law school um, to understand it. And we provide case examples, and we basically give you an overview of what the First Amendment does and does not protect and how you can best write and speak about these issues without opening yourself up to a lawsuit. And then we have a whole lot of pointers, um, you know, what to do. One of the things I encourage everyone to do if they're in the media or writing is to get media liability insurance, you know, it, it costs somewhere between a thousand and three thousand dollars a year, and you will be insured against these types of frivolous lawsuits. So I think it's absolutely necessary. What about for you yourself? I mean, if you're an attorney, you defend yourself. Uh, well, you know, the old saying is that an attorney who has him or herself as a client has a fool for a client. So, <laughs> you know, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've, never, um, I've never been sued, and I think for good reason, because I've never said anything that's defamatory. And I think it would be, you know, foolish for anyone to, because I would obviously win the case. So um, I've fortunately never been a victim of a lawfare lawsuit, though there have been attempts to discredit me by name-calling. I mean, there was a whole... I, when I was on the Red Eye, I don't know if you guys uh, watched this episode, I exposed the connections that the Aberdeen family has to the Muslim Brotherhood, which is absolutely extensive, and I questioned um, why she was given security clearance and why she was working so closely with um, Hillary Clinton, then Secretary of State. I'm talking about Huma Abedin, who yes. basically... Right, of course. Uh, yeah, and I was called an anti-Muslim Islamophobe, and MSNBC did a whole piece. They put a bunch of so-called experts on the panel to talk about how I and Monica Crowley are anti-Muslim because we spoke about the facts surrounding the Abedin family, and curiously, they didn't negate any of the facts that I said. It was merely bringing this to the American public's attention makes me anti-Muslim. And I think right. it's ridiculous because I work on a daily basis with, with Muslims and, and especially women, for example, who are, who are persecuted for, for being pro-human rights. And I yeah. speak with them on campus. Um, 
And, you know, I offered to go on MSNBC. I said, okay, you can call me whatever names you want. I mean, I, I went to high school. I'm not afraid of name calling. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about the facts. You know, have me on and let's debate the facts. And they refused. And it goes to show, I mean, these are the type of mainstream media, which I like to call it, mm, um, that you know, refuses to educate the American public as to the danger that the infiltration of the Muslim Brotherhood and Islamists are in this country. Rather, they would just call names and, and, and try and intimidate people. You know, Brooke, you and I never spoke about it, but have you've heard of Ayn Rand, of course, I assume. Yes, of course. So, so she had something that she called the argument from intimidation, which is exactly what they're doing to you. They are condemning you because of whatever position you take. And they just take it as self-obvious that that position is horrible. So if you criticize Islam, you're obviously a terrible person. But let's not even talk about the substance of your criticism, or let's not talk about the substance of your criticism of Aberdeen, given her links to the Muslim Brotherhood. Let's just say that if you call it into question at all, you're a terrible person. You know, it's sad. And this idea of, oh, well, you're an Islamophobe, there are things about Islam that are disturbing to anybody who shares the idea of human rights and Western values. So if you're going to be critical of it, I, you know, you're, you're afraid of it taking over, I think with good reason. And this guy who, you know, described himself as an Islamic radical and wanted to go blow up the, the airport at Wichita with a explosives is an example. Well, you know, sorry, one thing, this, this Bosch, you know, uh, quote unquote, uh, Muslim extremists don't call themselves Muslim extremists, call themselves Muslims. It's like the Muslim Brotherhood. It's not the Islamist Brotherhood. Just, just out of, for technicality, which is also why, in one sense, the Muslim Brotherhood is spoken about easily and openly because they're like, oh, they're Muslim, so they're, therefore they must be good. If they were called the Islamist Brotherhood, then we got a problem. That's all right, and they're also the basic, the, the Muslim Brotherhood, for those listening, is the, the mother of all terrorist organizations. Yes, yes. it's the mother of Al-Qaeda. I'll something. I mean, Amy, you said it right. I mean, there is nothing irrational about a fear of Islam. I mean, I would not want to live in in a society as a woman, especially, that adheres to Sharia law, which is the basic principle of Islam. It's Islamic law. And, you know, let MSNBC, let those guys call me an Islamophobe. Like, I, I don't care. But, yeah. but the real, you know, if name calling is the best they can do, you know, I'm laughing all the way to the press because if they yes. can't refute my arguments, I know what I'm saying is right. But I want to tell you something really sad because the real victims of, his, of what we call Islamophobomania are innocent Muslim children. I mean, I don't know if you, you heard about this instance, but there was a British police that failed to investigate a Muslim child sex gang where uh, at least one girl was murdered. And there were, I think, about 17 children that were kidnapped and, and raped. And this was going on for many years. And the British police knew about it. And they failed to investigate it out of fear of being called Islamophobic. So the real victims of Islamophobia are innocent children. And and that, in in my opinion, is, is the real Islamophobia. We have human rights groups that turn a blind eye to the fact that millions and millions of Muslim children are being taught on a daily basis in their schools, 
you know, through their textbooks, their teachers, often by their religious clerics, their political leaders, sometimes by their family and their media, to take their own lives in suicide homicide attacks. That is a crime of, of the most egregious proportions. And yet human rights groups, they don't criticize it. That's the real Islamophobia, you know, saying Muslim children don't deserve the same human rights protection or or the way that we ignored the plight of Muslim women in Afghanistan. That's the real Islamophobia. You're giving the green light to these terrorist groups. Go ahead. You know, we don't care about Muslim women and children. Kill them with impunity. Yeah, I mean, as as one writer said, Ernest Renani said, uh, the first victims of of Islam are Muslims. And And that's a fact. I mean, across the board. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. So like 90% of the victims of, terror, of Islamist terrorist yeah. attacks are Muslims. Yeah. I mean, look at Syria. We've got, what is it now, like 3,000 children are, have been murdered by snipers in Syria. The Syrian government just dropped a bomb on a school. Children were burned alive there. And you don't hear this being covered. You, you hear this called the, the so-called yeah. Arab Spring. There's nothing positive about what's going on in Syria right now. Right. No. And the only time you hear about Muslim children being killed is if it is an incidental, accidental, even if it happened, killing because, uh, you know, by Israeli soldiers. And, you know, the Israelis do everything possible to avoid civilian casualties. And when it ever occasionally happens, you know, the so-called Palestinians but will trace it in front of the exactly, media. No, but what, but, what the, what the quote-unquote Palestinians do is they actually surround themselves with, quote-unquote, with the civilians. Yeah, they and use they, the civilians as a shield. shield. Yeah. And, this is what, and then they do. They trounce it out there and they put it in front of the cameras. It's, it's disgusting. Um, that's what they do. Well, they admit it. I mean, they yeah. have no qualms. You have Hamas openly admitting that they use UNRWA schools as terrorist training grounds. I mean, I, I did a whole film on this. I, I spent two years um, going in and out of Janine Ramallah to common Nabilis with my colleague Alistair Leyland, and we produced a film um, exposing the recruitment and indoctrination of Palestinian children as suicide bombers, as child soldiers, and as human shields. And wow. I, I captured on camera. And the reason why I did this, and I risked my life to do this, is because I knew that people in the West would not believe me. I mean, this is truth stranger than fiction. So I, right. I really wanted to capture the, the uh, from the mouths of the perpetrators themselves what they were doing. And I have this one scene where I interview five members of the Al-Aqsa Martyr Brigades, which is a designated yeah. terrorist group that at that point had blown up building. 17 kids. And they admit on camera, yeah, we use kids. We use kids as young as 10. You know, they, they have no moral qualms about it. No, it's terrible. Now, tell us about the movie. What's the name of the movie, and how can people see it? Um, so the name of the movie is The Making of a Martyr. It's a documentary film. Um, we won, quite surprisingly, actually, the Audience Choice Award for Best Film at the United Nations Documentary Film Festival, and I really think that was only because I packed the audience with friends and family (laughs) (laughs) by virtue of the amount of votes. But, you know, we managed to get the UN to criticize for the first and only time the use of Palestinian children or Muslim children as suicide bombers. You know, there's not one UN resolution, General Assembly resolution, that condemns suicide bombing as a crime. There's over a hundred of them condemning Israel, but there's not one condemning even terrorism. There's no definition yeah. of terrorism in international law. So anyhow, no. you can watch the movie online. You could buy the DVD by going to our website, uh, thechildrensrightsinstitute.org. 
no, no, that, sorry, childrensrightsinstitute.org, um, or just simply Google the making of a martyr. We, we stream it online for, for free at Snag Films. Oh, that's nice of you. About the that definition, really nice. sorry, about the definition of terrorism that the UN has, they want uh, to make it seem like everyone, uh, you know, everyone takes part in terrorism. Israel does, America does, the Muslim. I mean, that's why they don't want to have a specific, you know, a specific definition of what it means, so they can accuse those non-terrorists of being terrorists. That that, that is what they want. Yeah, to do and and actually, the the OIC um, is has been lobbying the organization, the Islamic Cooperation, has been lobbying to exclude the targeting of American and, and Israeli civilians from any definition of terrorism, which is why mm, we have right. this deadlock now because. You know, the U.N. functions uh, akin to a democracy of a bunch of totalitarian dictatorships. So right. <laughs> um, we have this deadlock now where, where there's no definition of terrorism in international law, which is why you hear so often, you know, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, which right. I think objectively is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's disgusting. And the OIC also, the old day, they said that um, free speech leads uh, to Islamophobia, meaning end free speech. That's, that's what they're trying to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. and, and we're complicit in it. I mean, of course. Europe Europe has, has thrown plenty of people in jail. I mean, look what happened to the cartoonist that did um, the Muhammad with the bomb in, in his turban cartoon. Yeah. I mean, this is an expression of free speech. It's, you know, laughing, basically, uh, about is, Islamist terrorism, try, trying to parody, parody it, and he was thrown in jail. Yeah. Uh, we well, did a whole then- article about this in the Fordham Law Review. Oh, okay. I was going to say also look at the example of what his name is Nikul Nikula, the the one who they accused of setting off the Benghazi attacks, but that was a bunch of garbage. (laughs) Basically, they exposed him as a critic of Islam online and made it so he had to run and hide for his safety. It is insane. I mean, first of all, we know for a fact there was a press release. Um, that was issued before the attack on the U.S. embassies in Libya and Egypt, saying that uh, we're going to attack them in protest of Gitmo, in protest of the American detention policies. This is a well-known fact. It was exposed by Raymond Ibrahim. He put a translation of the press release out there. And yet the State Department, very much in line with Human Rights Council Resolution 1618, decided that they were going to point their finger um, at one American citizen's exercise of free speech that had nothing to do with the violence nothing. and blame him for the murder of our ambassador 3,000 miles away. It, it was, to me, uh, really a very scary, scary prospect that the U.S. government can punish an individual for their exercise of free speech. No, I, I definitely agree. Brooke, we are coming up to the end of our time together. I am so sorry. I would love to speak to you again about our other topic, the third-party doctrine at some point, so maybe we can arrange that in the future. But right now, I just want to thank you for everything you've done, especially putting yourself at risk the way that you did in order to make the the film. It's truly excellent. So thank you, and thank you for spending the time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. I just want to say that I read your article in Pajama Media, and I think it's absolutely brilliant. 
Um, I completely agree with you. The third-party doctrine is absolutely inappropriate. We, we cannot continue to apply it. And I just also want to mention that we came out with a new film. It's called Camp Jihad. It's on my website, thelawfareproject.org, and it exposes how U.S. taxpayer dollars are going towards educating Palestinian children to become suicide bombers illegally. Mm. So please, um, if you, anyone out there has, has 19 minutes, go watch our short film, Camp Jihad. And uh, if you're angry about it, write your members of Congress, ask them why they're continuing to allow this to happen. So thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Will do. Thank you, Brooke. Take care. Everybody, I have got to uh, end the show now. Go to don'tletitgo.com and leave comments. Talk to you next time. Take care.